Thanks for joining us for the Have You Seen podcast. We're joined today by Luigi Shambarella, who is off-campus residential outreach and guest trainer at the Monroe Institute. Um, perhaps most importantly, Luigi just recorded a new album with us. It's called Awake Induced Lucid Dreaming. Um, so please welcome to the show, Luigi Shambarella. He has a cool accent and a luxuriant beard. And uh, thanks again, Luigi, for joining us. Thanks for inviting me on, Gary. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the accent, sorry for those of you who see a name like Luigi Shambarella and think I, I should be speaking like Super Mario, but uh, <laughs> uh, alas, I was born in England to Italian parents, and uh, so I, I sound a little bit muddled, but hey-ho, it's part of the reality, reality checks for lucid dreaming, so <laughs> here I am. Very good. Can you uh, tell us a bit about lucid dreaming? I know you had a bunch of experiences kind of in your early years, but you know, how did you come to this and why did you pick lucid dreaming in particular uh, to focus on as your area of expertise? Well, I've always had a bit of a natural affinity towards lucid dreaming and um, I suppose everyone really does. I mean, we all dream and so, I'm kind of a lazy meditator. So for me, it was a really easy route into going down the outer body route. So you start with lucid dreaming and you move into that. Um, I got into lucid dreaming in a big way when I was at university. I was working with a guy who was a hypnotherapist and we would spend hours in the lab at Manchester um, doing experiments, consciousness, really exploring consciousness. And I started to have uh, very consistent lucid dreams out of that and out-of-body experiences. And I started developing it further from my uni experiences because, uh, first of all, when I was younger, I'd just play with the lucid dreams. So they wouldn't last very long and I didn't really do much with them. Then I realized that not many people had them uh, or at least talked about them. So I just shut up about them. But then I read a book by uh, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche on dream yoga. And uh, yeah, yeah, you've obviously done some work with Tenzin. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, he's a wonderful guy and his work is very, very accessible. So I started devouring his stuff and I found that lucid dreaming wasn't just a playground for uh, recreational activities, which is what many people come into it for. They start flying around in the dream and breathing underwater and flying into space and so on. But you could actually make a lot of uh, inner progress, almost using it therapeutically. And while I was studying my psychology degree, that's what was really interesting to me. You know, what could we find out about ourselves, about uh, our subconscious? Uh, what is the dream state? Where, where can it lead you? What, what sort of explorations can you make within it? So I started building a practice around using a mixture of hypnosis, and then we started introducing hemisync in the lab, which made access into the state a lot faster, a lot more consistent. Um, and it was really from there uh, that, I, that I started building a practice around it. Gotcha. So, sorry, and so oh, go ahead. When, when you were, when, when you say that you were using hypnosis to try to facilitate lucid dreams, were you guys basically trying to talk yourself into this state from a waking state, or it, how did that work exactly? Yes. Were. Yeah, it's from a waking state. Uh -huh. So um, hypnosis requires um, basically major absorption uh, and deep focus, mostly using a particular sensory modality. A, lo a lot of people like to stay in the visual field, but you can pick anything, uh, auditory, kinesthetic, whatever's most natural to you. 
and you can absorb yourself in that and then start to build an environment, a mental environment around yourself um, with specific suggestions. And so for, starting from the waking state, having something that your mind could hold on to, in, in the case of hypnosis, it would be the voice of the hypnotherapist, and then walking your way down into the dream state, that, that seemed to be a very effective tool for me. And then I was able to find myself inside a dream environment, maybe not completely fully formed as, as regular nights dreamed, but I could feel myself inside a different environment that I could play around with that had different rules and so on. And once in there, then the key would be to place some sort of anchor, a flag in the ground that would make it easier to go back there um, at nighttime, for instance. So with a plan, with what you wanted to do. And, and so that's how we started uh, using hypnosis together with Hemisync in order to start from the waking state and move into the dream state without losing consciousness. Gotcha. So there's basically two types of lucid dreams, right? There's wake-induced, which is kind of the subject of this current album that we're putting out, and there's dream-induced. Um, can you just talk a bit about the differences there? Yeah, um, so that, that's dream entry methods. So in terms of um, getting into the dream state, most of the time people do so by accident. So if you've ever had a lucid dream before, the, the chances are it was something strange in the dream state that made you have this aha revelation and you found yourself in a dream environment. Mm -hmm. And that's called a dream-induced uh, lucid dream. And usually those sorts of lucid dreams don't last very long because you get in in a panicked way a surprise way so then you don't know what to do because you don't have a plan so you're running around screaming you fly around a little bit and then you wake up that's that's the typical lucid dream um which is why most people who have had lucid dreams think that they're interesting and exciting but what do you do with them because really you know you've only got about 10 20 seconds so weird but so what yeah um so that's that's dream induced and and it's absolutely not the case that all dream induced lucid dreams are like that um they're just the spontaneous ones you can set things up to make it so that you stay in the dream a lot longer and you do more stuff in it and and what i've tried to do with this particular exercise is come at it from the wake induced so you're starting from the waking state and then you're lowering yourself down and the, the, the other little tweak that we put into this exercise is that we are, we're also introducing the dream-induced elements by, by setting up what we call a dream helper. So we're actually combining the techniques a little bit, but mostly focusing on the wake-induced. So we're really doing a bit of a belt and braces um, approach here where most of the effort is from you. So you to approach the dream from the waking state, but we're also asking from ass for assistance from the dream state itself to provide you with a tool to help you become lucid as well. Gotcha. Um, so, so just to be clear about what, what the differences are, when you, when you go to sleep at night normally, you lose awareness and then you dream and then you, you might pop up within the dream. And when that happens and you're aware that you're dreaming, that's called a dream-induced lucid dream. Whereas if you're starting from the waking state and you lower yourself down without losing consciousness and then enter the dream, you know where you came from. You came from the waking state. So you, you enter the dream from, from wake. That's a wake-induced um, lucid dream. And this 
this method uh, for me is far more useful as uh, a way of becoming then proficient and very skilled at lucid dreaming and to be able to do it almost at will. Because when you know how you got there, then you're not hoping that something happens in the dream that wakes you up. So you, you, you know how you got there. It requires training. And that's what this exercise is designed to do. Um, because it's like walking a tightrope sometimes. You'll have to play around with using the exercise at different times of the day because we're all different. We're all wired differently. Some people become incredibly tired as, as they're getting close to the nighttime. So doing some sort of practice then is pretty much a waste of time. You know, you just need the physical rest. So in which case, early morning is best. Others can go into lucid dreams in the middle of the afternoon, you know, like siesta time in, on, on the sort of Mediterranean areas, you know, you can use that and, and enter lucid dreams. Um, between sort of 2.30, 3.30 in the afternoon is an excellent time for, for doing it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessary that you have to do this at night either. That's also something to, to get past. And when you do it with awake-induced methods, then you can, you can start to become aware of what the entry to dreaming looks like for you and that's something that's also part of the training right and so just to summarize and tell me if you disagree with any of this but for anyone who sure. might be watching this and saying dude that's not a lucid dream that's meditation really what we're doing is we're we're starting from the waking state to basically train your subconscious so that it becomes more stable when you actually get to the lucid state whether it be from a waking due state or or from a dream state um, because lots of times from a dream state, the, these experiences are not stable. Um, and we're also creating tools so that um, these lucid states become more beneficial or, or fruitful when we actually access them. Is, is, is that fair? Yes, um, but I would also say that what we're trying to do here is train lucidity in general. Yeah. Lucid dreaming is something that allows you to train lucidity but lucidity can be gained and lost at any time of the day and night cycle so if your aim is to just have a lucid dream in other words to become conscious within the dream while you're still in it then certainly these practices will help you do that but if we start to get a bigger picture view of this what we're trying to do is remain aware throughout the day and the night time. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's not a given that you're always lucid during the day. In fact, uh, recent studies have shown that half of the time we're pretty much daydreaming. Yeah. We're not even here. And and so we're, we're off in this dreamland anyway without even having any awareness of it. So yeah. the idea that we're always present in the daytime and then we need to bring this into the nighttime isn't quite right. Mm -hmm. So this is a – with that comes – with greater awareness of the nighttime, you can start bringing that into the day so you have greater awareness in the daytime. Yeah. And that helps you to develop um, a particular perspective where – you don't just get sucked into your daily uh, habitual thinking, but you can actually pull back and maybe have a look and see if you can be a bit more creative in your thinking. Instead of seeing options A and B, you might find that there's a C to Z. 
um, available to you. And, and this, this is what we're training. This is why when I read Tenzin's book, I was really blown away because I saw um, lucid dreaming as a practice to train and cultivate my decision-making processes, um, my free will, my ability to move away from habitual and um, limited belief systems. So lucidity is something that we're training here, not just lucid dreaming. That makes it obvious because you know if you trained lucidity because you should be conscious in the dream state if you've trained it well. Right. So this is the testing ground. Right. And then if you're able to remain lucid in the dream, then you wake up, you bring that kind of awareness with you, and it becomes a, something that you can apply in your daily physical life in, in the waking state. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes total sense. And those are really good points. Um, And I guess maybe the other thing that um, I was picking up and kind of going through your stuff is, you know, people get very hung up on kind of being in the sleep state when they enter a lucid dream. Um, But really kind of what we're training here is accessing the hypnagogic state, right? Which is the state kind of going right into sleep. So, you know, where you're kind of right on the edge. And so, you know, while these tools are great for training lucidity just kind of in general, um, maintaining lucidity in that hypnagogic state um, can be especially challenging um, because it's easy to just kind of fall into complete sleep and, you know, deep delta. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, is absolutely. That fair? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. And, and this is what I mean by training lucidity mm-hmm. because. W- you're not just trying to go into the dream state. That's part of the process. When you go into hypnagogic uh, imagery, and, and that can be sights, sounds, these, these arrays of visual patterns and the crashing noises, tactile sensations, you might feel vibrations or tingling in parts of the body, movements and so on. So hypnagogic can be through all sensory modalities. What we tend to do in the hypnagogic is sleep right through it. Bear in mind that you pass through this every single time you're entering REM. So you know, you go through this five or six times a night. If you don't remember it, it's because you've not trained yourself to notice it, okay? So the first thing that we train with lucidity um, uh, is to step back a little bit and just watch the hypnagogic imagery. Now, when they start to happen, we get excited. So a flash comes in and we, ooh, what was that? And you look around and it collapses and you're back in your body. You've moved out of, of hypnagogia. But if you sit back a little bit, it'll come again. And bit by bit, you can just sit and watch it. Just staying back and watching it happen allows the dream state to form around you. The images of the hypnagogic uh, state aren't formed enough yet. You call these hypnagogic perceptions, right? And you're, you're kind of training yourself to recognize these as you fall into hypnagogia because the typical experience is you just blow right through it and you're not even aware of what's happening, correct? Correct, yes. Yes. The, the key is to slow that process down, to step back and watch it. And, you know, as a minimum, actually, as you're going to sleep at night, watch yourself falling asleep. You'll find that these perceptions arise. What we tend to do when we do notice hypnagogic perceptions is that we try to jump in. So we notice uh, a little image flash by a tree, an eye, a face or something like that. We go, oh, we get excited. And then, and then we're, we're jolted back. So the, the key is to just watch it because the, the, these are the building blocks of the dream. Mm-hmm. So they haven't formed yet. So you've got to sit back and let them become a bit more stable. 
when that happens, then you can start seeding the environment with an idea. So if you want to appear on a beach, you can start thinking about a beach. Mm -hmm. And maybe certain elements of the hypnagogic imagery will start to form. Doesn't mean you'll get a full beach, but you might get a little beach hut flash by, and then you'll get excited, and you'll pull back. So bit by bit, it'll start to form. And it's almost like in the Matrix, you know, when it's got all that writing coming down and then all the detail fills in. It will do something quite similar to that. You'll suddenly find that the environment forms around you mm -hmm. and you're in the dream. When it's stable to that degree, then you can enter the dream and interact with it. Mm. But until then, you're, you're an observer. And, and knowing how to move in and out is, is part of the training, which then you bring into the waking state. Right. So you say, well, how does that possibly relate? Well, if, if you're having a discussion with somebody who you normally get into an argument with, instead of joining that 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 dream where you do the repetitive pattern and you can pull back, you can disengage from it a little bit and watch it and say, can I actually do something creative? Can I do something different in this situation that doesn't repeat the same old patterns? So you see how training in the dream state of being an observer can also then help you in the waking state to become an observer so that you can choose new options that then you can apply in the waking reality. This in turn then feeds back into the dream state so you'll find that even your non-lucid dreams will take on a different quality where your ability to be creative in the daytime starts to feed into the nighttime so there's this uh, virtuous circle that starts taking place as you train both of them so this is lucidity training right and so um in kind of navigating sort of the two worlds the dream state and sort of everyday waking reality um, you also recommend using a variety of reality checks, correct? Um, I, you know, there was kind of a period of time where I was sort of getting into this, and one of the things I would do is I would just write on my hand, "Are you awake or are you dreaming?" Do you ever use that, or what do you what do you like to use? I, I've tried everything. Now, I, I run a, I, I came up with a program with Thomas Hasenberg, who's also a trainer of the institute, on lucid dreaming, and we kind of came from two different schools. Thomas is more of the Eastern philosophy traditions, dream yoga, Dzogchen, the Tenzin stuff. And I came at it from the dream-induced methods. So for me, reality checks is where I started. I had a wristband saying, are you dreaming? I, I put a spot a sticker on my watch that I would check periodically, setting random alarms. I've literally done everything when it comes to reality checks. And I have to say that compared to the waking uh, so the wake-induced lucid dreaming methods, I find these to be less effective simply because, like I was saying earlier, you lose awareness and then you hope that you're going to notice something based on the um, reality checks that you've trained yourself to notice in the daytime. You're hoping that something's going to wake you up inside the dream. So what we did in this exercise is we included the reality checks as part of the process, if you didn't lose lucidity going down into the dream state, then you don't really need a reality check because your reality check is you know you came from the waking state. But sometimes you're not sure, and this is why it's important to have a reality check. A reality check is, is something, an action that you perform to check which reality you're in. So it's okay to have something and asking yourself the question, am I dreaming now? But you genuinely have to ask that question. To say that you're going to notice, like now I can say, oh, well, I know I'm dreaming. But I can say that in the dream quite easily. The dream can, can be indistinguishable from this reality. 
we tend to think that dreams are this wishy-washy thing that eh, it's all fantasy world and and not real but reality is what you experience we only know the difference between waking and dreaming realities because when we come back into waking reality we say what the hell was that but in the dream it was absolutely real ask anyone who's had a, a nightmare or recurring nightmares when you fly up and you're sweating and you, your heart's racing believe me you know that that's real right so we're going oh yeah well uh, that 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 thing chasing me with a with a knife was it wasn't real nah it's just a dream you only do that when you wake up right so so um you genuinely have to ask yourself the question am i dreaming now what is it that really tells you that you're dreaming and the, the, there are uh, sorry there there are some things that are inconsistent in the dream mm-hmm. compared to this physical reality that we can take advantage of and use as what we call reality checks right so, so that's really what you're looking for what you're trying to train yourself to look for as opposed yes, to I'm like absolutely. okay and it's yeah. so like what just, just look around your environment and say oh i know that this is real so the, the first thing to do with lucid dreaming training is expand that idea that you have in your head about what's real and what's not yeah all experience is real yeah all experience is real some of it is constrained by your physical sensory input like in this reality mm-hmm. so physical matter reality has physical senses and and you have um visual stimulation wavelengths hitting your um eyes and and uh, wave uh, waves hitting your ears and, and that's all interpreted further up inside your brain your dream replicates that right so it, but it, it it uses different rules so it doesn't have these physical constraints so it's still perception but without the physical constraints so it's still reality right this is this is something to, to um to pay attention to when you when you embark upon this type of training because you're not going to catch the the dream out just thinking that you're going to know what's difference between real and what's not real. Mm-hmm. It's going to be absolutely real for you at the time that you're experiencing it, in which case you need to be a little bit cuter with how you test the environment. And by cuter, you mean you're paying attention to stuff that that doesn't seem quite right, or I guess normal for lack of a better word, like people levitating or, um, I, I don't know. Uh, what, yeah. yeah, what are some other examples? The, the dream doesn't tend to have people levitating around, right? It, so it will tend to replicate what you experience in physical reality. So when you're doing a reality check, there are certain things that are inconsistent in the dream. So if, if you go to a light switch and you turn it on and off, that ability to turn on and off seems to be a little bit skewed in the dream. You know, the, if you turn the light off, it might delay a few seconds and then go off or not go off at all. Or you try to turn it on, it doesn't come on. But then you have this thing called dream logic, yeah. which might say, oh, well, the bulb blew up. So you have to be, this is what I mean, you have to be cuter with your with your reality checks because the dream will always introduce an element which says, oh, yeah, that, the reason why uh, things are levitating is because gravity has just been switched off by those scientists over the hill. And then your dream starts to become a narrative of going over the hill to find out why the scientists have turned off gravity. Gotcha. So what... So, so you, you, you're trying to wake up this this frontal lobe, this bit that falls asleep when you, when you when you dream. Right. Uh, this critical faculty switches off, and and we can see that in the lab. You know, MRI studies have shown that certain parts of the brain just aren't 
operational when you're in the dream state, but you can bring them online through meditation, through through using um, hemisync. Gotcha. And, and then obviously th through training like this. What my favorite is to check my hand. Uh -huh. You know, I look at my hand and, and I'm married, so I've got a wedding ring on here. And what I'll do is I'll open my hand and I'll count the fingers hmm. and thumb, check the position, check the length and size and everything, check the detail, right? Then I'll make a fist and I'll see if everything's consistent. I'll turn my fist around, open my hand and, and check my fingers. The dream usually does something weird when I do this. Hmm. It it will make my fingers uh, longer or shorter or fuse them, change the color of my hand, make the ring disappear, put my thumb on the other side, you know, so it's like this. So something will change. When I genuinely check in this reality, I'm testing everything. I'm looking at so much detail. So the key is to really check, say, are my fingers in the right place? Is this actually my hand? You know, I'm looking for inconsistencies. Then if you genuinely ask uh, in the daytime and you do this randomly and repeatedly, that will start to feed through into the dream state. And you can even set the intention at night that, when I next dream, I will look at my left hand and check um, my fingers and thumb. Right. You know, you can tell yourself this as you go to bed at night. And then once again, you're, you're sort of training yourself to really look at something, you know, to really see your hand as opposed to, you know, a reified concept of your hand. Because we tend to think like, oh, this is my hand. Like, I, I just know it. You see it and you think hand like you aren't actually seeing it for what it really is. Um, but I guess backing up a bit, this is again kind of an advantage of dropping into the hypnagogic state from a from a waking state, is that reality checks aren't maybe quite as important, or you know because you're kind of maintaining some heightened level of lucidity as you go into it. But I think one thing that maybe we should also talk about that we sort of skipped is you also want to give your analytical mind something to do as you're dropping into the state, correct? Uh, absolutely. Now, this this is the beauty of using hemisync, and this is why we're doing this exercise. If you read the how-to books on lucid dreaming, they will talk about wake-induced and dream-induced methods. Yeah. They will often tell you that the dream-induced methods are the easiest because you look at your hand and, and you pinch your nose and try to breathe, and in the dream you can breathe, and in this reality you can't, and so on. And they go through all this reality-checking process. And it works. Absolutely, it works. But then they talk about the wake-induced methods, and they say these methods are the methods used by the most experienced meditators. The dream yogis use the wake-induced methods. Yeah. If you want to become really proficient at lucid dreaming, use wake-induced methods, but they're hard. Mm -hmm. Because to slow down the process of entering the dream is a very difficult process. It's a very, very thin, tight rope, and you'll fall asleep, so it's easier to go for the reality check route. Yeah. With hemisync, we can slow that down. We can stretch open the entry into dreaming, and this is where things change. When we do the lucid dreaming program at the Monroe Institute, we have a lot of people who lucid dream during the program. Mm. I would say we're averaging about 86% wow. um, the people who, who lucid dream or have an out-of-body experience during the program. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, then, then we usually pick off some people after the program as well. And the reason why is because we're using hemisync. We can slow the process of going into the dream state and then as you're rightly saying you give your your mind you give your critical mind something to do 
So what you've got is you've got um, deep relaxation combined with um, some sort of reflective awareness practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So something that keeps that, what am I doing? Where am I? And, and that kind of critical faculty switched on. In this exercise, um, th this new one that we produced is what we do with the with the critical faculty is we use something called the dream entry method. So this is a repetitive action, but that keeps your mind occupied and it doesn't just become like a background uh, activity, something you, you have to think about. So usually if you've got a very analytical mind, then picking something like um, starting from 537, counting back in threes. Okay, so you're slowly counting back. So 537, 534. You're doing this in your mind as you're letting your physical body relax. What happens is you're, you, you will lose awareness of your physical body. will start to go into the background. And then the dream state will start to arise. But you're keeping that critical faculty switched on. I was saying before that the frontal lobe shuts off during dreaming. You know, you, you lose that critical faculty. So if a pink elephant comes into the room, you say, you know, what's up with that guy? And then when you wake up, you go, there's, there's no pink elephants in this reality. Go, what a stupid dream. But at the time, your critical faculty didn't make that leap. So by giving it a task to keep it switched on, you're entering the dream with it still active. And that makes it, makes it a lot more likely that you will notice that you're dreaming. That's why you're doing this task. Got it. So yeah. I think a lot of people think that you want to get your analytical mind out of the way for a lot of this expanded consciousness stuff. Um, and by giving it something to do, you're kind of doing that because it's not able to sort of criticize or analyze what you're doing, but you're keeping it in the game, so to speak. Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Remember, every single night, your critical faculty switches off and this state arises. And, you know, I, I sometimes joke with the participants. I say, this is the relationship that your analytical mind has with this sort of creative, intuitive mind. Yeah. That is, your, your analytical mind has to go into a coma every single night mm -hmm. before this, this creative and uh, spacious, you know, this, this, this wonderfully creative mind comes online. It waits for that to disappear. Yeah. I mean, you literally get obliterated from the world. You know, think about what you do during the night. You you disappear from from physical reality. Then this circus happens, which is the dream state, and then that goes away before it's frightened off by this analytical mind again. Yeah. So you know how to switch off your analytical mind. The key here is: can the analytical mind observe without interfering? Can it observe? The, the the show of the dream state without messing around with it, without threatening it. You know, we're talking about something that is like you're trying to catch a mouse or at least invite a mouse to eat a piece of cheese that's sitting on your hand. You know, it, it, you've got to lay very, very still, very still. And normally with the hypnagogic imagery, that's like the mouse approaching the hand and then you trying to grab it. Yeah. It's too early. Yeah, it's not settled in your hand yet. You can enjoy it far more if you just sit back, watch, and if it doesn't think that you're a threat, it will come and sit in your hand and eat the cheese, and you can both observe, you know, the the, the right and the left part, this analytical and this creative part, 
can be a, a team. Mm-hmm. And what I normally say to this analytical part is not to go away. I say, watch, yeah. not yet. You can analyze later. You know, this is this is the beauty of lucid dreaming. You can talk to yourself and watch how actually there are parts of yourself that aren't really used to talking to each other. And by training lucidity, you can get them to build a relationship. What you're trying to do is you're trying to build a relationship between one part, which is completely um, separate in a lot of ways in how it functions, this analytical part, with another part which really tries to guide you. Yeah. And that's what the dreams tend to do. They try to they, they hold a mirror up to you. They show you where you are, what you're thinking about, what your anxieties are, what, what you've been doing during the day and so on, what your relationships are like with the people around you and so on. The mirror is held up every single night. And most of the time we say, what the heck was that about? And we then, if we even remember our dreams, we say, what the hell is that about? And we just carry on and we go have our coffee and drive to work and so on. So this is how bad the relationship is starting out. And this is what we're trying to train by gently lowering you just to observe, to start with, and then start to interact with it in a very gentle way until you build that relationship up. That was a great analogy with the mouse in the hand. Um, and that, that actually wants, I, I want to go into something else after hearing that. But um, just before we kind of go there, um, you also talked earlier about seeding dreams. And I know yes. one, one of the things that you use is, um, you know, the, the uh, idea of these dream helpers. Can you just talk a bit about dream helpers and kind of the overall concept of seeding dreams in general? Yes. So first of all, what we're trying to do, um, again, in this exercise is we start off with a relaxation process. If you get your body relaxed, then it's not going to distract you. That's why we're doing that. And and this you don't want to cheat yourself out of that. Get relaxed. It's a nice process. When you're when you're relaxed and not thinking about your body, your mind is free to wander. That's the first thing. And when your mind is free to wander and it's not thinking about the body and you start imagining other things, then it's it's tricky for the mind to be in two places at once, to be with your physical body and to be in an imagined reality at the same time. So the more you you uh, concentrate on being in this imagined reality and move your mind away from your physical body, the more real and solid this reality is going to become, right? So using the uh, the technique for entering the dream slowly from the waking state, we're starting to move our attention away from the physical body because you're, you're thinking about counting uh, the numbers down in threes or walking along a, an imagined path. That's moving your attention away from your physical body as you're entering the dream state and you're creating a new environment. But what we're also doing in this exercise is saying we're going into the dream state and we know that the dream state is incredibly creative. Every single night, a oh, whole world is created that fools your senses. It makes you think that you are a, a separate object observing a world of objects and that you are here in the environments out there. But that's not true. You see, you're made of the same stuff as the dream. So you're a dream thing, just like the rest of the dream is, is a thing. And you're not, you're not separate. It's, it's a habit. So what we're saying with the dream helpers is, hey, dream. You're very creative. Give me a hand. Come and help me. Meet me halfway. Create a character for me. Characters, an environment, a situation, a memory, a smell even, just an intuitive knowing, whatever. 
some sort of symbol that can meet me as I'm trying to lower myself down. So as you're lowering yourself down, you're getting the dream to raise and meet you part way and say, hey, all right, now you're in the dream. Come with me. Yeah. Ask for assistance. You don't have to do this all by yourself. Yeah. This is the key. Trust that the dream wants to help you, that it wants you to become aware that that there is this whole reality that you need to explore. The dream is incredibly patient. Think about repetitive dreams, dreams that recur. They're telling you the same message over and over, and they don't get impatient. They'll just say, I'm just going to keep giving this message over and over until you get it. You know, and you'll just do that for years if need be. You know, so, so the dream is incredibly patient. So we look at it and say, this is a resource. This is a state that we can ask. Can you come a little bit closer? Can you create something in that environment that makes it even more obvious to me that I'm dreaming as I'm entering the dream? And that's what we're doing with the dream helper. Right. We're creating something that can alert us to the fact that we're dreaming. Right. So just, uh, you know, also kind of becoming aware of, you know, the access to resources and assistance that we have in many of these expanded states. And it's there if you just ask for it. Um, you know, one thing that I wanted to ask you about was um, the idea of keeping a, a, a dream journal. You know, a, a bunch of lucid dreaming books kind of swear by these. Is that something that you do? Yes. Okay. I've been, I've been keeping a dream journal solidly for 16 years. Okay. And, uh, and the thing is this. You dream five or six times a night. If you dream journal, the chances are... After a short amount of time, you'll remember at least one dream per night, yeah. which is usually the last one just before waking up. But the more you train yourself to recall your dreams, the more you'll be able to remember in terms of dream content. So you might remember two, three, even four dreams per night if you do that. Yeah. The more dreams you remember per night, the more chances you have of dreaming lucidly and actually remembering that you had a lucid dream. There's nothing more frustrating than, and you probably wouldn't even know if you're frustrated or not, than having a lucid dream and not remembering it. I mean, I've had it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you'd think that these things would be so incredibly impressive that you remember it. But yeah. if it happens in the first half of the night and you think, wow, that was amazing. I'll write it in the morning. How can I possibly forget that? And then you go back straight back into sleep. Remember that critical faculty will just switch itself off again. Your brain will not remember the details. So I'm not saying that you have to. Absolutely. Yeah. When you wake up in the morning. Okay. Okay. So there's a few things that you can do. First of all, um, you can do this very, very simple. You know, a piece of paper and a pen is enough to just keep by your bedside. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is not move. Yeah. Don't move. If you're going to give yourself any sort of uh, affirmation before you go to sleep at night, it's when I wake up in the morning, I will remember my dreams fully um, and in, well, let me, let me try that again. When I wake up in the morning, I will remember my dreams in great detail, okay? So it's an affirmation before you go to bed. So it's an affirmation before you go to bed. And so, but also add, and don't move. Yeah. If you, if you have any sort of alarm, don't wake yourself up in the state of panic. Yeah. You know, the alarm is, it just says it all. That's a big deal. You know, it takes you right out of it. Well, what I do is I, um, I usually put on some meta music. So something like Gaia or Angel Paradise or, or Deep Journeys. 
something like that. That's a slow rising kind of uh, music that that still holds you in that state a little bit, but also signals that you're coming out. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, thanks for the plug on that. I, I'm not paying Luigi for this, but no, I do appreciate that. Well, but I, I use it. I'll tell you what not to use a semi-sync cable car. You know, that, that's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing with beta frequencies or, or just erratic music, right? So, uh, yeah, just, <laughs> I call it the dream, the dream killer. Right. Um, but something very gentle Yeah. Uh, that, that, that wakes you up. You know, you, you, I, I like the meta music because I just use it a lot in programs anyway. So that, that's, that's why I use that. But nothing like eh, 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 panic alarm, okay? Because you'll you'll forget, you'll be straight back into analytical mode because it's fight or flight mechanism. It's an alarm, you know. <laughs> you look for the panic. So, whatever alarm you have, though, if you've got it on your phone or whatever, and you switch it off, return to the start position. So, if you walk up on your side and you rolled over to turn off the alarm, then return to your side mm -hmm. because there's a state-dependent learning that takes place. It's the memory is locked into your body position. So you'll help your memory of, of the dream by returning to the, your start position. Yeah. Then the next thing I note is how I'm feeling. What is the dominant emotion? Because that will gi give me the biggest clue about what the dream was about. Not, if I don't remember content of a dream, but I remember an emotion that I know what the dream was trying to tell me. Yeah. Then, then I say, what? Why, why do I feel that? What was my last dream image? And then I start working backwards. And so I just write a few bullet points. You know, it doesn't have to be a massively involved story that takes up a lot of time, but you're going through key features backwards. So I think that is great advice because um, I think one thing that I've gotten trapped in in the past with the dream journal is I just try to get into way too much detail with the dream. And then you look back a week or two later and like half of it is gibberish and unintelligible. Um, but one useful tool that I picked up from uh, John Van Alken, uh, so I want to give credit where, where credit is due, is you just kind of jot down four things. Um, one was your mood, which is kind of what you're talking about. You know, was yep. it up, down, neutral, happy, sad? Um, the the yep. second is the subject. Um, and, yep. you know, just the lowest common denominator, you know, make it simple. You know, don't get bogged down with it. And th that's usually where I would get very bogged down. Um, and then the third is the movement, you know, where you're watching, listening, waiting, running, protecting. And then um, yep. the fourth is, you know, what was the nature of the dream? You know, what was going on in your inner mind? You know, what was the activity? Was it previewing, analyzing, processing, instructing, warning, encouraging? And I think just yep. those four things really make it digestible and doesn't take too much time. No, I, I, absolutely. But, you know, the... the... When, when you're looking at a dream journal, yeah. um, you've got to ask yourself, what is this for? Yeah. So you're improving the memory of the dream state in general. So now, I mean, after 16 years every day, I don't have to set an intention to write my dreams down in the morning. I just do it. It's like brushing my teeth. Yeah. So it might seem effortful at first, but then afterwards it becomes very easy. In fact, I use an app um, to... to, uh, to type my dreams down on, on in the morning it becomes part of my reality check actually yeah. because i'll just write it and then look away and then look back on it and if anything's changed i know i'm dreaming yeah <laughs> you know so it becomes it because <laughs> believe me once you write a full dream down a few times 
and find that you were writing the dream down in the dream and then you wake up and have to write the dream down again, yeah. then it can become a little bit frustrating. So so you build a reality check into the, the, the journaling itself. But what the main thing I'm looking for are patterns. What am I dreaming about? You know, what, what, how do I feel and what's the subject? Those two are the main key things. Mm-hmm. Who am I with? Um, what, what's, what's the general theme of, of a series of dreams that I'm having uh, in a particular week? What's it trying to teach me? And this is what I really like about the dream journal. There's a lot of books out there about dream interpretation, varying quality, dream dictionaries i'm not usually a massive fan of yeah. um because they're just they're just too general yeah and the the thing about writing uh, your dreams down is that you start to build your own dream dictionary certain things will repeat themselves over time and you'll realize oh when i meet such a person that's the, the my subconscious or this is my anxiety or this is um you know my playful side or something like that so you, you see these uh, key elements repeating themselves over and over, and it's like your dream writes in shorthand, and you can learn that shorthand. Yeah, okay, that's those are all good points. Um, so we've been talking for quite a while now, but one thing that I did want to um, cover with you is, you know, you mentioned that your success rate in your residential workshop is like 86%, which seems fantastic, but what do you think is a typical success rate? You know, I, I guess one for you, and then like, what should like an average person who's kind of starting from scratch, like how often can they expect a lucid dream if they dedicate themselves to this? You know, the, the, that's, that's a tricky question. Okay, so when I say success rate on a program, yeah, then people are coming to a lucid dreaming program, so having a lucid dream is a success. Yeah. However, I measure success slightly differently mm-hmm. in that for me it's not, having one lucid dream and then that's it you know to, to borrow something from a philosopher friend of mine tim freak if, if you have a uh, a wonderful filling satisfying meal then that doesn't mean you don't eat tomorrow tomorrow you'll be hungry again yeah. and and it's like that with a peak experience so what i measure in terms of success is repeatability and having something then that you can use in your daily life, mm-hmm. that that you can repeat the lessons of lucidity in the wake and the dreaming states, that you start to build that relationship up. That's how I measure success. Okay. And the more lucid you are in the day and night, the better. So um, if you start with this exercise and you're dedicating yourself to just watching yourself going to sleep, mm-hmm. that you are watching uh, how the dream comes on board, then then I would say you've got to you've got to do this regularly you know you've got to find out what time of day works for you as well yeah because if you're doing it every single day but you're doing it when you're really really tired then you'll probably find that you're going to sleep through it in which case percentage wise your success rate is going to be low yeah so you've got to find out what time works for you that's the first thing but i I will say this when i'm very well rested so i'm not sleep deprived i wake up slightly earlier and then i meditate um with but you know i usually use a hemising track yeah so you know i'm biased with that um so am I. I i will i will lose the dream virtually every time i do that you know so my, my yeah i mean i mean th- that's very interesting because you know for instance for for, for people that are into out-of-body experience it's common to have very long droughts like very long like months sometimes yeah, but, yeah, um, you know for, 
the, the, the thing with, with lucid dreaming, and this is funny because we do have a lot of people having out-of-body experiences in the program. Yeah. And the reason is that dreams are a lot easier for your conscious mind to accept than out-of-body. Out-of-body, you, you meet the split immediately, which is there's this curious part of you that goes, I really want an out-of-body. Yeah. And then you have this other part that goes, yeah, but what if I don't get back in? I've watched the film. <laughs> and, and demons can get in. Yeah. Right. So you, you meet that and that fear is always sitting in the background, that fear of the unknown, that fear of annihilation. Right. You know, and, and no matter what you consciously think, that's going to win. Yeah. Right. But we dream every night. So what's the big deal? So if you go through the dream state first and then into the out of body, that's a lot easier to do. So, no, I would say that the drowns can. Uh, take place if you try to have the classic lift out out of body in other words you try to peel yourself out of your body and you see your non-physical hand and then you peel out and you float up to the ceiling you hit it yeah. you turn around you see yourself in bed and you go oh my god i'm out of body yeah. they fly out if you try to go for that then you can go long periods uh without ha it happening if as i was saying before if you send your mind away from your body then it won't take very long for it to um, find itself somewhere else. Yeah. So your out-of-body entry changes. It's a lot easier to be out of body when you're not thinking about your physical sensory input. Right. If you keep saying to yourself, body, 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 why am I not out of body? Guess what you're telling yourself? Think about your body and stay with it. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> Think about where you want to go. Right. You know, this, this is one, one of the main things I, I teach people is if, if you think of all of these techniques, like learning to drive, then I don't learn to drive in order for me to sit in the car and hear the engine hum, right? I learn to drive so I can go somewhere. Mm. Very often with both lucid dreaming and out-of-body practice, we make the target the actual technique. We say, I want to go out of body. I want to lucid dream. And so you focus on that specifically. The main thing that I would say drives the experience drives your success rate in, in, in these techniques is why. What do you want to do when you're out? When you're lucid, what do you want to do? Because you'll become lucid and then you'll panic because you've hit your target. You know, you'll say, okay, well, I wanted to have a lucid dream. So you had a lucid dream. Now what? Right. The 10 seconds later, you're back awake and you think, well, that was cool, but so what? Yeah. Now what? So, so focusing on your intention is, is uh, your destination. And that could be a purpose. It's far more important than whatever technique you use. Yeah. When you really focus your mind on what it is that you're trying to achieve and why, you know, and it works in physical reality as well. You know, focusing on having loads of money, that's a tool, that's a technique. So what do you want the money for? Well, I want to be happy. Well, why do you have to go through the money route? You could find a million and one ways. Yeah. It's a very limited, um, um, you're very much limiting your, your creativity and your... Uh, your free will by thinking that it can only happen one way. So this is the same thing with the dream state, without a body experiences as well. So think, focus on the what, and less so maybe on the on the how, and and let the uh, let your subconscious guide that one a little bit more. Well, Luigi, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, there is some great stuff in this uh, discussion. Um, thanks for recording Waking Do Exclusive Dreaming with us. I hope everyone likes it. I think they will. Uh, if you guys are watching and thought this was useful, please share it, get it out there. Um, the only way we're going to actually impact consciousness on a large scale is by you know, people all doing their part to get this out there. Um, so thanks for joining us, and until next time. Thank you.